1 John chapter 2. 1 John chapter 2 will be continuing our look at the book starting today at verses 22 to 27, although we'll read from 15 to the end of the chapter. John is continuing the theme of this section and really the theme of the book on dealing with false teachers and false Christians. Uh, specifically here, more the false teachers. We saw this theme in Jude pretty extensively. Uh, Peter has devoted most of the second letter, letter he wrote to dealing with this. Paul deals with this quite a lot, especially in Galatians and Colossians, and really in most of his books. It would be no exaggeration to say that most of the New Testament epistles include extensive sections dealing with false teachers and their heresies. And if God's going to put so much effort into warning us about them, we really need to put some effort into thinking about the problem and how it relates to us and how we need to deal with it. So starting at verse 15 in 1 John chapter 2, and reading to the end of the chapter. Do not love the world or the things of the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes, and the pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. And the world is passing away along with its desires. But whoever does the will of God abides forever. Children, it is the last hour, and as you have heard that Antichrist is coming, so now many Antichrists have come. Therefore we know that it is the last hour. They went out from us, but they were not from us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us, but they went out that it might become plain that they were not from us. But you have been anointed by the Holy One, and you all have knowledge. I write to you not because you do not know the truth, but because you know it, and because no lie is of the truth. Who is the liar but he who denies that Jesus is the Christ? This is the Antichrist, he who denies the Father and the Son. No one who denies the Son has the Father. Whoever confesses the Son has the Father also. Let what you heard from the beginning abide in you, and what you have heard from the beginning abides in you, then you too will abide in the Son and in the Father. And this is the promise that he made to us, eternal life. I write these things to you about those who are trying to deceive you. But the anointing that you have received from him abides in you, and you have no need that anyone should teach you, but his anointing teaches you about everything, and is true, and is no lie, just as it is taught you, abide in him. Now little children, abide in him, so that when he appears, we may have confidence and not shrink from him in shame at his coming. If you know that he is righteous, you may be sure that everyone who practices righteousness has been born of him. 
May the Lord add his blessing to the reading of his word. Let us pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, as we come to look at this passage today concerning those who are trying to deceive us, pray, Lord, that you would open our eyes to think about how we may be protected by your spirit and by your word and by your love and by our love for you and ask, Lord, to encourage our hearts as we stand firm for the faith. Pray this in Christ's name. Amen. So we looked last week at the first half of this section, verse 18 down through verse 27, or yeah, 27. And now we'll look at the second half of it. It was too much to cover in a single week, but it's really one, one thought. And he continues on about the Antichrist talking about their heresy, further identifying it and clarifying it. And he says that their heresy, that is really their lie, right? Who is the liar? The one who denies that Jesus is the Christ. So they can be identified by the fact that they are liars. Now, John said in the previous verse, verse 21, that he writes to us because not because we don't know the truth, but because we know it, and no lie is of the truth. And so there's this differentiation between these liars and the truth, who is Christ and his word. And Jesus has told us that I am the way, the truth, and the life. They are liars. He is the truth. And he says, no one comes to the Father except through me. These are people who are lying and that they are denying the truth of God's world, word. They are against the truth. Jesus has said, sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. John 17, 17. Uh, we looked at this last week more. The idea that the truth is central to what John is talking about. And these people, they lie because they do not know the truth. They haven't been transformed by the gospel. Paul speaks of this in 2 Corinthians 4, 3 through 6, where he says, even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. In their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. For we proclaim not ourselves, but Christ Jesus as Lord. With ourselves as your servants, for Jesus' sake. For God, who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts and given us the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. And so as unbelievers, we're, our minds are darkened, our eyes are blinded by the God of this age, by Satan. And it is God who must shine his light in our hearts for us to then see and embrace him and know him. And so these people who are blinded are going to lie because they have no idea of the truth. These antichrists, these false prophets, these false teachers lie because they do not know the truth, and we can see their lie in their life. John has already told us this in, a little earlier in the chapter, uh, verses 3 and 4. We know that we have come to know him if we keep his commandment. Whoever says, I know him, but doesn't keep his commandments is a liar, and the truth is not in him. 
And so we've spoken of that earlier that, you know, we can see to some extent the false teachers, the Antichrist revealed because they do not keep the truth of God's word. They do not obey his commandments. But here explicitly, these Antichrists are deniers of Christ himself. That is their great lie. Now, some will deny Christ outright that he is the Christ. The unbelieving Jews all did this. They didn't believe Jesus was the Christ. They wanted him arrested. Uh, The Jewish leaders especially were jealous of his fame and his power. In John chapter 7, John speaks of this. The people, uh, John 7, 30 and 31, they were seeking to arrest him, but no one laid a hand on him because his hour had not yet come. Yet many people believed in him. They said, when the Christ appears, will he do more signs than this man has done? Meaning, obviously, this is the Christ, and they believed in him. And again, later in the chapter, in verse 44 and following, some wanted to arrest him, but no one laid hands on him. Then the officers came to the chief priest and the Pharisees, who said to him, why did you not bring him? And the officers answered, no one has ever spoken like this man. And the Pharisees answered them, have you also been deceived? Have any of the authorities of the Pharisees believed in him? But this crowd that does not know the law is accursed. In other words, they were saying those who believe that Jesus is the Christ are accursed. And none of the leaders will believe that. And so they denied that Jesus was the Christ when he was there. And there's a sense in which that's part of this great lie that they're teaching that Jesus is not the Christ, the promised Messiah of the Old Testament. And that promise goes all the way back to Genesis, when the, the promise is that the seed will crush the head of Satan. And that is referring to the coming of the Christ and his defeat of Satan. So that promise of the Messiah is throughout all of the Old Testament. It's veiled. But they understood it, and they were refusing to believe that Jesus was the Christ. And so they were denying that. And this liar is the one who denies that Jesus is the Christ. They are the Antichrist. However, this would also include all of the people who denied Jesus as the Christ and what it means to be the Christ. In Second John... Uh, verse 7, there's only one chapter, verse, uh, many, he says, many deceivers have gone out into the world. Those who do not confess the coming of Jesus Christ in the flesh, such as one is a deceiver and the Antichrist. And so he's saying that the, they're denying that Jesus has gone out into the world, or the, the Christ has come out into the world, and that that is Jesus born in the flesh. If you look through church history, even in the time of the writing of the epistles of the New Testament, we can see many, we call them Christological heresies. Some people were advocating that Jesus was a created person. Some claimed that he was one God among many. Some said he wasn't God, but only a man. Or some said he's only a prophet. Not a, not a God, not God. Some claim that he wasn't a real man, but he only appeared as one. 
Some claim that he had a divine nature that came upon him and then left him, that he was that they were not together. Uh, the list can go on and on and on and on. Christological heresies take a long time to study if you study theology. Uh, the Westminster Confession of Faith in section 8.2, and I'll read a modern English translation of it so I don't burden you with the archaic English, says that the Son of God, the second person of the Trinity, being true and eternally God, of one substance and equal with the Father, something they deny, did with the fullness of time had come, take upon himself man's nature with all its essential properties and common frailties, yet without sin. They're saying he was truly a man. He was conceived by the power of the Holy Spirit in the womb of the Virgin Mary and of her substance. In other words, he was a real man born of a woman, natural man, not some figment of a man. Uh, One of the Christological heresies is that matter is evil and therefore he didn't have a material body, he had a spiritual body. Now he is... The Bible teaches that he was born of a man and really had a real body, and it's necessary. Uh, In this way, his two whole natures, the divine nature and the human nature, perfect and distinct, were inseparably joined together in one person without being changed, mixed, or confused. This person is truly God and truly man, yet one Christ, the only mediator between God and man. Why is it so long? Why is it so complicated? Because the deniers of Christ have attacked him from every angle. Why do we care? Well, we've spoken of this before. If Jesus was not truly man, one of us, he could not stand as our substitute. He could not earn the reward that was promised. He could not accept punishment for our sin. If he was not truly God and man together, his sacrifice would not be sufficient. Man's sacrifice cannot pay for his own sin. We go to hell for all eternity for our sin. He needed to be a man who was also fully God. And so any attack against this is really an attack against the gospel, and it is a denial of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And that's why he is so firm about this. Jesus is the Christ. Those who deny him have no place with God. And that's what he says here. You remember the introduction? Let's go back to John, 1 John 1, the first four verses, that which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon, which we have touched with our hands concerning the word of life. The life was made manifest, and we have seen it and testified to it and proclaimed to you the eternal life which was with the Father and was made manifest to us, which we have seen and heard and proclaimed also to you, so that you too may have fellowship with us. And our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. And we are writing these things that our joy may be complete. Uh, He starts off the letter expressing that fellowship with Christ and with God is a necessity for the church, for the believer, that we are all together with them. To deny Christ is to have no fellowship with the Father. 
When Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life in John 14, 6, he follows it with the statement, no one comes to the Father except through me. Now, it's popular heresy today in churches and in religions, especially in the West, to say, oh, all roads lead to heaven. The Presbyterian Church USA repented of evangelizing the Native Americans, saying that their religion also leads to heaven, equally to ours. Jesus says, no, if you aren't going through me, you aren't getting to heaven. You aren't getting to the Father. There is no salvation outside of Christ. Never has been, never can be, never will be. And you remember our John 3.16 passage. We all love it so much. God so loved the world, he gave his only son, that whosoever believed in him should not perish, but have eternal life. God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already. Uh, you might argue, oh, if you know, the Mormons believe in Jesus, that he's a God and we can be just like him, so they should be okay. Now, if you believe that God is a, Jesus is a turnip. Is that okay? You know, what's the dividing? What's the line? What's the rule? Well, the rule is you believe that God is, is revealed in the Bible, is Jesus as he is revealed in the Bible, especially as he is revealed in the gospel, is the truth. If you don't believe in the Jesus of the scriptures, the Jesus of the gospel, then you don't believe in Jesus and you are condemned. Why are you condemned already? Because you have not believed in the name of the only Son of God. And the judgment was that people love darkness rather than light because their works were evil. Everyone who does wicked things hates the light. And Jesus is the light of the world. And so these Christ deniers, the one who say he is not the Christ, either that Jesus is not our Messiah, like the Jews were saying, the unbelieving Jews, or that corrupt what it means to be the Messiah, the Christ. They have no place with God. Anyone who is denying the biblical doctrine of Jesus being the Messiah, the Christ, has no fellowship or place with Jesus. And since Jesus is the eternal Son of God and the only way to the Father, they have no fellowship with the Father, no place with the Father. All that waits for them is an eternity in hell. And that's John's point. Unless, of course, they repent, turn from their foolishness, and embrace, embrace Jesus as he is freely offered to them in the gospel. Those people, however, don't do that, and they don't want to go to hell alone. And that's why he gives us encouragements. What, let what you heard from the beginning, verse 24, abide in you. What have we heard from the beginning? He's talking about the gospel, the beginning of our faith, the beginning of our new life. The gospel teachings, that original message that saved us. Now, what is the gospel? The gospel, something many are ashamed of today, but Paul says he's not ashamed of the gospel because it's the power of God, the true gospel. And we're dead in our trespasses and sins. 
that the wrath of God is upon us for our sin, that we're facing eternal punishment, that we can't get to heaven through our works because we have all sinned and the wages of all sin is death. There isn't hope from that. But that the gift of God, the free gift of God, is eternal life in Christ Jesus. That while we were still weak, while we were yet enemies, Christ died for us. He took our sins upon himself, died in our place. That he spent three days in the tomb and was raised. And in his being raised, we see that the sin was paid in full because he is God and his death was of infinite value. And thus we are fully paid. And with his resurrection, we can have confidence that the sins are paid for in him. How do we receive this? Now, if we confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord, Romans 10, 9 and 10. Notice it says, confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord. Not Savior, Lord. And believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. We have heard that gospel message in one form or another and been saved. That message we have heard from the beginning is a message we must diligently seek to preserve in our lives. There's a great hymn, I love to tell the story. We need to remember that story. We need to remember that testimony. We need to remember what God did for us. We don't want to develop itching ears to be pleased with what pleases us and turn away from that message of what God has asked for. Jesus said, as we keep seeing in 1 John, that if you love me, keep my commandments. We develop itching ears to tell only the things that are easy and desirable and ignore the commandments that we don't want to obey, then we're going to turn away from him. We talked about this a bit last week in 2 Timothy 3, chapters 3 and 4, this battle that goes on in our lives and in our hearts. Jude spoke about it also. He said that we need to contend for the faith that was once for all delivered unto the saints. You know, this message we heard from the beginning, starting with that gospel message, expanding to all the things we have learned throughout Scripture, from the life of Christ to the doctrines in the New Testament to the doctrine of the Old Testament, all of Scripture that we have been hearing since the beginning we need to contend for that because it has been delivered to us. It doesn't need to be changed. It doesn't need to be fixed. It doesn't need to be updated. As at Synod this year, I was discovering that the copy of our Constitution that I had was not the copy of the Constitution of the person next to me, which was not the copy of the Constitution being read, which was not the copy of the Constitution that the clerk had, which was not actually the official copy of the Constitution because we've amended it too many times. But we don't need to amend the Bible. What God wrote, he wrote in knowledge of all that would happen from beginning to end, and he wrote what he wanted to have written from day one to the day of Christ's return. And there is no need for amendments and changes. 
It was once for all delivered unto the saints. The constant pursuit of the latest and greatest ideas and theories is not what Christians are after in Scripture. We read about that in Acts 17, that the Athenians and the foreigners who lived there spent their time in nothing but ex- except telling and hearing something new. For them, it was all about whatever was the latest and newest. And I have to admit, on a regular basis, I read the latest and greatest tech news about the newest and coolest technology advancements. But there are no advancements in Christ. The same yesterday, today, and forever. The teachings of Scripture do not change. My understanding of them improves over time. But their truth doesn't change. And that's why we're forewarned in this passage in verses 24 and 25, 24 in particular, that we need to abide in that truth. We're forewarned really to keep a watch for ourselves. Second John uh, verses 7 through 10. There are many deceivers have gone out into the world who do not confess the coming of Jesus Christ in the flesh. Such a one is a deceiver in the Antichrist. We read that. Watch yourselves so that you may not lose what we have worked for, but may win a full reward. Everyone who goes on ahead and does not abide in the teaching of Christ does not have God. Think about that. Everyone who goes on ahead and does not abide in the teaching of Christ does not have God. Whoever abides in the teaching has both the Father and the Son. If anyone comes to you and does not bring this teaching, do not receive him. Do not receive him into your house or give him any greeting. (coughs) There's debate about what to do when the cultists come by to your home. Uh, Welcoming them, according to John, would be a sin. Uh, evangelizing them is a good idea, but we have to be careful not to be welcoming to them, not to be receiving of their teaching, but of sharing the truth with them in love. You know, it may seem harsh, but this isn't John's idea. This isn't my idea. This is what God has put in his word as a warning for us. It's a warning to keep us safe. You know, when we tell our children, don't put your hand in the fire, and we paddle their backside when they keep reaching for it, we're not being harsh. We're being loving. When God over and over again warns us of these things, it isn't because he's harsh. It isn't because he's a God of hate. It's because he loves us and wants to protect us. As John says, watch yourself so that you may not lose what you have worked for, but may win a full reward. We don't want to be like those who make it to heaven as if escaping through fire with nothing. We should let it abide in us, this passage says. Abide in us what we have heard, God's truth. Jesus, really, and his word. Remember we looked at that passage in John 15 quite some time back. I am the vine, you are the branches, starting at verse 5 of John 15. Whoever abides in me and I am him, he it is who bears much fruit. 
For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers, and the branches are gathered and thrown into the fire and burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask what you wish and it will be done for you. By this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit and prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, I will abide, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. And so when John is telling us in his epistle to abide in Christ and abide in his word, he is probably thinking back to what he has written in the gospel, that we need to abide in Christ. Apart from him, we can't do anything. Apart from him, we cannot fight against these false teachers. Apart from him, we cannot keep ourselves on the true track. Apart from him, we cannot resist the world, the flesh, and the devil Apart from Christ and his word and what he has taught us in it and the things that he has instructed us in it, we do not really have hope. And so he is reminding us to abide in Christ. Now remember the introduction we just read to this book in 1 John 1, 1 through 4. Their witness and their testimony were authoritative because they were eyewitnesses who were commissioned by God and inspired by God. Right? It is scripture. All scripture is God breathed, 2 Timothy 3.16. And it is profitable. Right? All scripture is profitable. The church today will tell you, no, it's dangerous. You know, we don't read that one. We don't talk about this one. I remember once talking about the rich man and Lazarus and hell. And somebody told me, well, you shouldn't talk about that passage. I didn't get the reason why he wouldn't answer. But all scripture really is profitable. (coughs) It's profitable for teaching, reproof, correction, and training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work, That is what we want. If we want to stand, we must abide in God, abide in Christ, abide in his word, because his word is what is able to make us ready, complete, and equipped for every good work. We read also in 2 Peter 1, 19-21, that we have the prophetic word more fully confirmed, to which you will do well to pay attention, as to a lamp shining in a damp, place, a dark place, until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. What is he talking about? The prophetic word more fully confirmed? Well, the prophecies of the Old Testament were prophecies of the future vague. The revelation of the New Testament is prophetic word, revelation from God to us, and it's the explanation of those things and the revelation of the reality of those things. Knowing this, first of all, no prophecy of Scripture came about by someone's own interpretation. In other words, when John is writing this passage, he is not writing what he thinks is correct. 
Why? Because no prophecy was ever produced by the will of men, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. God is not making them mechanically dictate with their eyes closed. They're writing from their heart, but God has prepared them in their life, in their heart, in their ministry, in their experience, in their knowledge, and guiding them that they write what he wants. But they write it each in their own style and in their own way. But it is from God. And so we have their witness for us. And we need to heed that testimony, their writings, because they are really the very word of God. And so when he warns us about these false teachers, about these antichrists, about these people who are teaching anything that contradicts Christ, that contradicts the revelation of him and his work, that we need to really take it to heart and take it to heed. Why? Well, the promise is also here. And that is the thing that should really inspire us to work so hard. The promise of eternal life. We've seen Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Well, now we've come the way the false prophets are against it, we're for it, the truth, God's word, the life, eternal life. John speaks more of this later, but in chapter 5, verses 11 through 13, but I want to read that. And this is the testimony that God gave us eternal life, and this life is in his Son. Whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have the Son does not have life. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life. From beginning to end of this book, he talks about having eternal life and the knowledge of it. You know, a lot of this book is given to dealing with uh, heretics and unbelievers, but it's really also telling us how we look at our own lives. These tests show us whether we really believe. And, uh, you know, the believer should be passing them, if not perfect, not perfectly, but in in part and in heart and in desire to be more perfect in it. And they see that confidence build and that hope build in them. John has shared this promise with us also through Jesus' words. Jesus said, and we've looked at these passages in the past, and I just want to remind us of them. John 6, 37 through 40. All the Father gives to me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never cast out. For I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life. And I will raise him up on the last day. You know, we have this gift, this gift of the Spirit of God in us that is being referred to, alluded to here, but is spoken of in our passage, that we have hope that we will not be lost. We will not be finally deceived. We will not be, you know, following off these false prophets and false teachers and become one with the Antichrist. 
because if we belong to Christ, he will not lose us. Again, in John 10, 24 through 30, the Jews gathered around and asked him, how long will you keep us in suspense? If you are the Christ, tell us plainly. Jesus said, I told you, and you do not believe. The works that I do in my Father's name bear witness about me, but you do not believe because you are not among my sheep. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. And I give them eternal life, and they will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has committed them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of my Father's hand. And I and my Father am one. And this is a transition really into verse 26 and 27 of our passage. He's writing this about those who are trying to deceive us, but we have an anointing that we have received from him who abides in us. Now I've titled the message from verse 26 because it is really the key for this whole passage. I'm writing these things about those who are trying to deceive us. The enemy is actively trying to deceive us. The enemy thinks it's only natural to live the way they do in enmity against God. We saw that in 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 3 and 4. He's telling us that the time for us, the time past, is sufficient for doing what the Gentiles want to do, living in sensuality and passions and drunkennesses and orgies and drinking parties and lawless idolatry. With respect to this, they are surprised when you do not join them in the flood of debauchery and they malign you. They think it's only natural. Why are you resisting? Why are you against this? Why are you being foolish? They want you to join them, and they will try to get you to join them. The enemy is not inactive, and you can't just sit around going, it's okay, I'll just wander through my life and not worry. Don't worry, be happy, will mean they catch you. Remember, Satan is prowling around like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. Jude also speaks about how they are actively trying to get to us. It says, you must remember, beloved, verses 17 through 21, the predictions of the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ. They said to you, in the last time there will be scoffers following their ungodly passions. It is they who cause divisions. The divisions are caused because they're able to take away some people to follow them. Worldly people, devoid of the Spirit. But you, beloved, building yourselves up in the most holy faith and praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in the love of God, waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ that leads to eternal life. That eternal life is our goal And the keeping of ourselves, the building of ourselves up, those are works that the Christian must be about their whole life. Struggling to make it to heaven, to make ourselves safe, to make ourselves secure in the Lord. Keeping and abiding in Christ and abiding in his word. Studying, well, we'll get to that in a moment. Studying and persevering in his word. Scripture has a lot of warnings about that, especially Paul. 2 Corinthians 11:13 to 15 
talking about such men are false apostles, deceitful workmen, disguising themselves as apostles of Christ. And no wonder, for even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. So it is no surprise if his servants also disguise themselves as servants of righteousness. Their end will correspond to their deeds. And so what is he saying? He's saying that these enemies of Christ, these false teachers, false apostles, the Antichrist, as John calls them, they try to seem to be super pastors, super teachers, popular authors, and they lead many away. And they're warning us to be careful about them. In Colossians 2, 8 and 9, he says, See that no one takes you captive through philosophy and empty deceit, so we can be taken captive according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirit of the world, and not according to Christ. For in him the whole fullness of the deity dwells. These false teachers and false apostles, these antichrists, will stroke our egos. You can be superior. You can have better knowledge. Come with me, and I will lead you astray. Uh, No, I will lead you to higher knowledge. Often it's secret knowledge that only we will have. This is dangerous. We're told in this passage, and it's really a repeat of what we talked about last week, that our anointing protects us. I was speaking of that briefly a moment ago when we talked about Jesus saying how all that were given to him would come to him and he would raise them up and no one could take us away from him. None of these false teachers, none of these antichrists can actually steal us from God because God has the power. Christ is too powerful. They can't take us. It doesn't mean, though, that we don't have to do any work, as we spoke about last week. We still have to fight the good fight, run the race set before us. That's the job. There are some who will reach heaven as if escaping through fire, according to Paul, meaning everything they have is burnt up and they arrive with nothing, no reward, just life. That's not desirable. We're never going to be a church of one. We need the church. We need each other. We need the teachers and the pastors and the ministry. We need to be in the word. We need to be studying the word and caring about the word, abiding in the word, as John says in today's passage, that we might be protected from the schemes of the devil and from these false teachers and these antichrists, that we don't go astray. And we were talking Wednesday about Coco had only been a Christian for a few months, able to recognize visiting a church that this isn't what the Bible teaches. Uh, If you know your word and you're hearing it and it's really coming into you, the spirit will bring those things to memory and help you to overcome. But you must be in the word. You must be building that faith up, strengthening it day by day. And that way the spirit can be with us. I read last week, and I'll finish with that this week. John 14, 25, and 26. Jesus says, These things I have spoken to you while I am with you, but the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. The Spirit can bring those things to our memory so that we can 
be protected, be preserved, know what's right, know the truth. If the word is abiding in us, the spirit can then bless us through it. Let us pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, that you have granted us eternal life, that you have shown a light in the darkness of our heart, that you have breathed life into our dead body, that you have taken out our heart of stone and given us a heart of flesh and caused us to be born again, that you have placed us into the kingdom of your Son and that we can have great confidence that in him we have hope because he he is truly God and that no one can snatch us from his hand and that he will bring us to heaven as he has promised. And we know, Lord, the promise that if we abide in him and in his word, that we will be able to be strong against the schemes of the devil, that we will not be influenced and led astray by the Antichrist of our age. And we pray, Lord, that you would encourage our hearts to be diligent in the study of your word, faithful in attending Bible studies and church services, and in reading the word on our own and praying and meditating that, Lord, we might grow in our faith and grow in our assurance. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.